turn to page 269, um, which is Ruth chapter 3, and we're reading the whole of the chapter, which is verses 1 to 18. Page 269, Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. (coughs) Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. "'Who are you?' he asked." I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning." So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, My name is Isaac and uh, yeah, a member of this church. Um, I must admit that whilst I was reading through Ruth and preparing, I really, really enjoyed it. But also I was moved, and at some point I did shed a tear because it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful story. Now, you might think that's pathetic, but that, that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. And... We started our series of Ruth, and we've, we've looked at chapter two, chapter, oh, sorry, chapter one and chapter two, and in, we're going to look at chapter three. And in chapter three, we are going to accompany this young Moabite woman into the most extraordinary night of her life. 
But we, before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of reading your word, of studying your word. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. And we pray that you'll please speak to us through your word this evening. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Now, you might remember that in chapter 2, um, uh, Ruth was, was, was gleaning or picking leftover grain uh, through the harvest season uh, in, Boaz, in Boaz fields. But the harvest season was drawing to a close, and, and we wonder, what is going to happen? Well, Ruth had men this generous man of standing, a redeemer who protects, who provides in harvest time. But that in itself is not enough. It may be kind, but it's not a lasting solution. And of course we know that cannot be the end of the story. There is more to come. So it's as if a chapter two, the narrator of this story, put a, pressed the pause button. And so let's see what happens in chapter three. But as we read through chapter three, you might have noticed how strikingly parallel it is to chapter two of Ruth. But I want us to notice two differences just before we dive into Luke. And the first difference is that in chapter two, Boaz is center stage. He's the redeemer of Naomi's family. He's a man of standing, a man of good character. He's generous and he provides. And in chapter three, the focus is not so much on the redeemer and his character. The focus sort of shifts away and moves to Ruth and Naomi and their faith as they reach out to this redeemer. So that's the first difference. And the second difference is that chapter two, everything happens in daylight, in open, in the fields. But in chapter three, everything emphatically happens in the dark. Everything speaks of privacy. Things happen in darkness in which people do not know what's happening. Ruth acts quietly, speaks discreetly. She comes and goes without being seen. You see, what happens in this drama, in this story, is emphatically a one-to-one encounter with this young woman and this one redeemer. And so, as we walk through this intimate scene, we are going to see six facets of the covenant faith, which are still true with our faith today. And so we begin on verse 1. This is Ruth and Naomi. Uh, And Naomi tells Ruth, and and this is Naomi. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, if you remember in in chapter 1, Naomi goes back to the original wish she had for Ruth and Opa in chapter 1, that Ruth and Opa may find rest in a home of another husband. 
It is good for Ruth to stay close to Boaz's harvesting team, but Naomi seeks a deeper goodness for Naomi, a goodness of a husband and a home to rest. Gleaning in Boaz's field is, is wonderful, it's fantastic, but that's all it is. It's the first fruits of the Redeemer's goodness. And Naomi seeks far, far greater goodness for Naomi. And so Naomi's goal is to find a home for Ruth, and we shall see that Ruth's goal is to bring her hair into the world to continue her dead husband's name. And you can see that these two women cared deeply for one another. And as we're going to see, the method they use is a vivid expression of this covenant faith. Naomi lays out this plan. It's a daring one. It's extraordinary. And here's a plan. This is why he tells uh, Ruth. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked with, is a relative of ours. Just in case we've forgotten, because this is important. Boaz is a relative of Naomi, his family. Therefore, it's a covenant relationship, meaning on the side of Boaz, he had covenant relationship, covenant obligations. Ruth goes on. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Now, although we have seen already in chapter 2 and chapter 1, the love story in this book is not a romance between Ruth and Boaz, but we cannot avoid the atmosphere of the erotic possibilities in this night scene. Ruth washes herself, she's clean, she perfumes herself, she literally anoints herself, and she goes to the threshing floor. But I want you to notice that Ruth is not seducing Boaz into, proper, into improper sexual intimacy, as we shall see, but rather she's dressed as a bride, might dress up. And so in this scene that we look at, there is no sexual immorality at all, but rather strong hints of the intimacy to come in chapter 4 as we look at it. And so Ruth goes on, then go down to the threshing floor, but do not let anyone know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, not the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. This is all very discreet, very secret. Ruth is not to let Boaz see her. She hides in the shadows until the time is right. Was Ruth to be seen, there would be a scandal because Boaz was a man of standing, a man of character, and he will suddenly send her home. Which brings us to our first facet of faith. The faith is intentional. Now, we've already seen in chapter 2 that Naomi trusts God's, puts his confidence in God's laws about picking over leftover grain in Boaz's field. But his plan here in chapter 3 is a concrete expression of God's covenant faith. She's putting her trust in God's covenant care. She trusts that her family and God's people 
are still obedient to God's laws. Ruth shares that faith by her pledge of obedience and agreement to do what Naomi has asked her. And she understands what has been asked of her. And so this initial scene between Naomi and Ruth, as we shall see, <clears throat> demonstrate this faith, this, this facet of faith that faith is intentional and faith is deliberate. It's this deliberate reaching out of God and his promises. It is not passive waiting, but it is reaching out in faith. And the other important aspect of faith is that faith is a gift of God. It's not something we decide to exercise by ourselves, but it's a, it's a gift that God gives us at the human level. It's not something that comes out from outside of us, but rather something we ourselves exercise. So faith is intentional. And the second facet of faith is that faith is vulnerable. True faith abandons all securities. We are going to see that what Ruth is doing is a very, very risky thing. <clears throat> Ruth is a young woman, unaccompanied, and is going after dark to the threshing floor, full of relaxed men, off-duty, cheerful. You see, in most places in the days of the judges, this action would open you up to all sorts of possibilities, possibly drunken abuse. But in doing what Naomi says, Ruth abandons all that safety and that security that she might have held onto. She entrusts herself to this one redeemer and believing that he'll protect her and treat her right. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking in good spirits, he went over to lay down at the far end of the grain pile, or grain pile. Boaz is relaxed, he's cheerful, no doubt sleepy, weary after a long day of work. He's had a good meal, a drink or two, but he has no idea what's going to happen. Notice how he goes to the far end of the grain pile, away from the others. Perhaps as the owner, he's given a different spot a spot of privacy. And so Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Ruth here is utterly vulnerable now. She's a young foreign widow. She has no rights. And most powerful men in the days of judges would take advantage of her. And they would not be held account for it. But Ruth has faith in the character of this man of standing, this relative, this redeemer. She trusts that he will not abuse her vulnerable position, her foreignness, her decision to lie beside him under his clothing. This brings us to our third facet of faith, that faith is intimate and personal. You see, what happens between the individuals what happens here is between two individuals, one believing foreign woman 
and one trustworthy redeemer. No one else is. No one else knows. No one else intervenes. And no one else, in, no one else intervenes. Here is a young woman and a senior man. We know that Boaz is a senior man. The way he talks to Ruth, he says, my daughter. Here is one young woman and one senior man in the darkness, in the privacy of the night. And in this intimacy, we see something of, of a deeply and personal individual saving faith. You see, the church is the bride of Christ. And of course, as a church, we will enjoy the fulfillment of our longings in him. But each man and woman, each, every single one of us, exercises this faith alone. Each of us needs to enter that gate one by one, one by one, through that narrow gate. In his book, In the Pilgrim Progress, John Bunyan pictures Christians going through like a wicked gate, a narrow gate that each must go through one by one. You see, you and I cannot have faith credited to us, not from our parents, not from our friends, not from our family, in a second way. Faith is individual and faith is a personal. Every single one of us must make that decision individually and exercise our faith individually. And so, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. You might remember in chapter 2, Boaz had asked the workers, who is that woman? But now he asks again, but he asked that directly, who are you? And this is a very intimate this is a really deeply intimate moment. And here is how Ruth responds. I'm your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're the guardian redeemer of our family. Well, this language that I used here is used in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 8. This is what it says. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, and so that you were old enough for love, I spread the cone of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Essentially, what Ruth is asking here, he's asking Boaz to marry her and raise up a hair through to continue the line of Elimelech on behalf of Naomi and on behalf of her own dead husband. The plea is very direct, is very daring. Ruth is calling on covenant promises and asking Boaz to honor them, and not just by generous gleanings, but by marriage. Notice Ruth does not appeal to Boaz on the ground of attractiveness. We don't know if Ruth was attractive or not, although we like to suppose that Ruth was attractive, had a good figure. But no, she does not appeal to that. She appeals on the grounds of covenant obligation, since you are the guardian redeemer. Which brings us to one fourth facet of faith. The faith is grounded in covenant promises. You see, 
Faith is not subjective. It's not a subjective quality that some people have the capacity for and some other people don't have for. Faith is simply a conscious decision to trust what God has promised. Ruth does not rest her hope on her own attractiveness or maybe possible sexual chemistry between her and Boaz. But we have no idea whether such a thing was present or no. In fact, we don't know if Ruth fancied Boaz or Boaz fancied Ruth. We have no idea. But the point is, Ruth grounds her appeal on covenant promises by the virtue of being the guardian redeemer of Naomi's family. In the same way, faith in Christ, <clears throat> faith in Christ calls in the promises for which God has committed themselves. It is to say, Christ, you have promised to redeem me, so now do what you promised. And Boaz responded, saying, My daughter, the kindness is greater which you've showed me earlier. You have not run after young men, whether rich or poor. What is this great kindness that Boaz recognizes? It's, it's very easy to, to assume that, you know, that Ruth is being kind to this older man, Boaz, because he's offering to marry him. Of course, it would appear, and it's clear that Ruth had got offers of marriage from one or two young men around Bethlehem, but she rejects them, and we don't know exactly why she rejects them. <clears throat> but the kindness Boaz is commending here is the covenant, steadfast, loving kindness to Naomi that she has showed her. Boaz was told in chapter 2 that, was told about all Ruth has done for Naomi after his husband's death, how he left his father, his mother, his homeland in Moab, and come all the way into the promised land. <clears throat> so whatever Ruth may feel or may not feel for Boaz, what is clear is that Ruth is showing astonishing covenant, covenant kindness to Naomi and is willing to, work, to raise up her hair for her. <clears throat> Ruth turns down these approaches from young men, not because she prefers Boaz in some romantic way, but to keep herself available up as a hair for Naomi. Ruth is, like, is almost like a surrogate willing to convince, to give birth in some ways of what will be Naomi's child. And Boaz goes on, and now my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And all the people of the town know that you're the woman of noble character. Ruth, in her intimate vulnerability, alone in darkness with this man of standing, this guardian redeemer, has reached out in all daring faith. She's laid all her dignity, her person, her whole being on the line to Boaz, on the line appealing to Boaz <clears throat> to fulfill his covenant obligations. And Boaz responds, do not be afraid. Precisely what she needed to hear, I will do for you all you ask. 
And that is the reassurance Ruth needed. Which brings us to our fifth facet of faith, which is faith is effective. <clears throat> you see, the fifth facet of faith we see pictured here is when faith calls in these covenant promises because we know for sure the Redeemer will accept them and respond to them in faith. Boaz is a trustworthy Redeemer. When called upon to do this intimate life-changing thing, he does not hesitate. And this is the paradox of faith, that although it's a gift of God, it is really exercised by us, and God responds to when we exercise our faith. And so you would have noticed that this chapter starts when <clears throat> Ruth says, to Naomi, I'll do whatever you ask. And now the Redeemer is committing to himself, saying, my daughter, I'll do whatever you ask. And of course, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, does not hesitate. When called upon to fulfill his promises, he always performs and he always <clears throat> fulfills them. Do not be afraid. I will do forever what I will do for you all you ask for comes very immediate and straight away from Christ's lips. You might remember in Mark when the leper came to Jesus and asked him, are you willing? He immediately said, I am willing. But what an extraordinary night. What a life-changing night for Ruth. In this intimate meeting, as this intimate meeting draws to a close, Ruth lies there not as a cover of sexual immorality, but simply because it would have been dangerous to walk back home, especially in the days of the Elijah. Boaz tells Ruth, stay till first night when it will be safe, and then you can head back. And so this encounter is a one-to-one -one encounter which reaches out in covenant faith to the Redeemer and the Redeemer promises to do what the covenant says. Bring me the show you're wearing, Boaz says, and hold it out. He poured into it six measures of barley and placed the band on her, and then he went back. When Ruth got back home to her mother-in-law, he asked how it went. She told her everything. He gave me six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. There is a press button, the pause button. As Ruth waits, we too might, must wait to see what happens at the end of this scene. We have seen faith vividly portrayed in this chapter and would like to know whether I'll be rewarded. This brings us to our sixth facet of faith, that faith involves waiting. It is necessary to wait precisely because faith is not sight. It carries on the waiting period for resolution. And so we reach out in faith but have to wait, and that tension of waiting and reaching out, of course, we've seen it in our story. 
Naomi says to Ruth, wait until you find out weapons. And in waiting, and in the waiting faith, it really rests on one person only, and that's the character of the Redeemer. Just like Ruth and Naomi, we too must wait for Jesus Christ to fulfill the covenant promises. We don't know how long it's going to be. No one knows how it's long to be. But just as Naomi can say with confidence that the man will not rest until the matter is settled, we too can say that with confidence that Christ will not rest until it's settled. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, Paul uses the language of engagement, that the church, the body of Christ, is engaged to Christ, that we are bride. And so as we wait and as we long for that fulfillment of the promise that Christ has made, we should rejoice in this, that we are the bride. We should look forward to these promises that God has made in, in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 23, of redemption of our bodies. We should look forward to that. We should pray for them. And ultimately, we should look forward for the wedding between the church and, the, and Christ as we look forward. So faith is intentional. Faith is vulnerable. Faith is intimate. And faith is grounded in covenant promises. Faith is effective and it does involve waiting. May I encourage you this, this evening to reach out in faith to Christ. Amen.